0: All right, welcome to another edition here of Beyond Eight Figures. Steve Olscher hanging out with the lovely Mary Goulet. Hello, Hello, Mary Goulet. Richie Ote, what is going on, my brother? It's going great. You? Way's on it down the studio. Kelly's got on control back at headquarters, and we are going to be joined by the amazing Shalene Johnson here today. There you go. All right, so There's welcome. Maryland. Welcome, Chalene Johnson, to Beyond Eight Figures. It is awesome having you here. Super excited. Love the pink microphone. Good to hang out with you. Well, thank
1: you. It's a real honor. Thank you for having me.
0: Absolutely. And so here on Beyond Eight Figures, we sit down with entrepreneurs who have either exited for more than $10 million or currently run businesses that gross more than $10 million annually and try to get to the bottom of exactly how they started and scaled and in some cases exited from that business and so will you please share with us uh, how do you meet that criteria did you exit from a business or do you currently have a business that grosses more than 10 annually how how do you meet that criteria
1: gosh well well i think the first thing i should say in trend to be completely transparent as we are in and out of that category sure um you know like 2017 was in excess of of 10 million and 2018 was not yeah. Um, we're kind of in the messy middle right now. Uh, my husband and I, Brett, we own a lifestyle company. And the way that we were able to you know, get beyond um, even a million dollars was by diversifying, having more than one stream of income, having more than one platform, having more than one business under an umbrella business. Um, and that has been a blessing. And sometimes it is a curse, Mm -hmm. you know, figuring out how to balance it. I always liken it to um, having a lot of children, you know, and and the more children you have, the more love you have, but at the same time, it really can divide your attention. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, so that's, that's where we're at today, really. And and I know it's kind of broad in general, but I thought it would start there and let you dig deep. Yeah,
0: no, no, no. So, and, and appreciate the candor. And then that is sometimes what happens, as you said, it's kind of ebbs and flows and, and also, your priorities shift, right? I mean, sometimes you're in that, let's go, go, go mode. And I want to ramp up my team. I want to ramp up revenue. I want to do this big, huge, you know, maybe get to nine figures. And then you wake up and you go, my God, why am I working so damn hard? Right. So is, was that part of the process here for you? as you just realized like, maybe you're just working, just kind of burning the candle at both ends and you want to slow (laughs) it down a bit?
1: I wish I could say that were true, but no, uh, it's it's not. You know, the fact of the matter is I think we love talking about the beginnings and the ends and, you know, the exit. And we love hearing about the entrepreneur who had this brilliant idea and they started in a one-bedroom apartment and it sounds so romantic. And then they exited for, you know, $50 million. And then we love talking about the end. And frankly, we are it's been like 2018 was a really tough year for me because it it had been easy. Like they say your first million is the toughest. And then after that, it just, it just kind of gets easy. And I think there has been, I I know I've been cocky mentally. You know what I mean? Like this is crazy easy. Like you just solve problems for people and you find the right people to help you build your team out. and, And you just stick to your integrity and your morals and your ethics and your your belief and your principles and it just it can slowly scale and i always assumed because it felt very linear you know that mm-hmm. that trajectory of our of building our businesses and um then in 2016 2017 i had a, a health scare um and decided based on passion to start a new startup and so we we started a new venture really launched it in 27 end of 2017 End of 2017, really. 2018 was our first, what I would consider our first full business year with that new business venture. And I was so devoted to that that it wasn't, frankly, until the middle of about 2018 that I realized we had so divided our attention and given so much attention to this new child that we had adopted. And it was a real learning experience that it, you know, for me, I don't care about the money, but when I, the, the money for me is a score. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's a it's a monitor for me to say, okay, we're we're doing the right things. We're we're spending our time wisely. We're focused on the right areas. And you know, I just sat down with my husband Brett, and we were really missing the mark financially. And then when we were looking at all the areas that were suffering the most, it were the they were everything other than our startup. And it was it's difficult not to lose hope in those. especially when you've had a lot of success and it's been almost easy success it's like i don't don't want to play then if i'm not winning i don't want to play i I don't want this to be hard why why am i doing something that's hard when i've already figured out how to do this in a way that's much easier um and so for us I, i can't tell you that it was wanting to slow back not at all like it was last year was my busiest toughest year mentally emotionally uh physically Um, it challenged me as a leader. It challenged me as an entrepreneur beyond my wildest measure. And it's been humbling and it's been a test of my perseverance. Mm -hmm. So can I
2: ask a question? Yeah, for sure. With the new venture that you just started and launched in 2017, could you have taken in hindsight, the same simple process that you started with in the very beginning and overlay that onto that new business or did how dare you? Yeah.
1: <laughs> Go back to the okay, beginning. You point out the obvious. Yeah, I think so. You know, I think the mistake that we made, the mistakes that we've made have really served us, and this is going to be a ginormous year. Um, but it, and, and I, I'm so thankful for a setback year because it makes all the success that much more delicious. And I don't know if you, uh, if you guys have had difficult times in marriages or relationships. Nah. But <laughs> <laughs> no way. <laughs> One of the reasons why I like I, I so cherish my marriage with my husband is because we've been through some really crappy times. You know what I mean? And like getting through those makes it just makes it so much more enjoyable to be in a, in a good space. And so I'm thankful for those tough lessons. I would say to answer your question, one of the things that we did is we like, okay, this this is a new type of business. It's a new type of venture. Let's do this the way the big boys do it. And you look at the playbook of other companies that have done the same things as you. And again, I think those playbooks often include the beginning and the end, and there's all these pages missing from the middle. And so I would say that we we invested a lot of money on... Nearly a million dollars in advisors yeah. and advisors, and that can that can take you off of the course of what you know has worked for you in the past and overcomplicate things. And I and I think that's partly what we did. We were too fast, um, which made it difficult to manage all of the moving pieces. Mm-hmm. And and frankly, um, it is a new. Sp- space so the other areas where i think we missed the mark is um me being stubborn about what i believed the messaging needed to be and then just coming to the realization that that is not the message Mm -hmm. that our target audience wants to hear so our new business by the way is called the 131 method and it is it's a program that teaches people how to get healthy from the inside out how to improve their gut health how to understand their metabolism and lose weight and get healthy in the process. It's an online community um, with a subscription model. So there's that continuity piece to it, which we're really familiar with. And we're really familiar with the online space, the space part that we weren't familiar with. And this is going to sound surprising to people because they probably think of me as a, a health and fitness person is we we've never marketed to customers who are looking for weight loss. And because I really was hell bent on this program, stepping away from the diet and fitness culture that I think is so unhealthy, I was stubborn, stubbornly um, holding on to a message that you know this is the anti-diet program that we're marketing to people who are looking for a diet. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? It's almost like mm-hmm. marketing the natural, the natural look to women who are looking for full coverage, mm-hmm. you know? Right. And, and so we really, and that was me. Like, I just felt like it was selling out to talk about weight loss, even though weight loss is part of the natural progression when people improve their gut health and get healthy from the inside out. But it, I was so stubborn about and passionate about that message that it, it cost us a lot of missed opportunities and it was really hard to land the marketing piece.
0: Let's, um, mm. and let's take a, a couple of steps backwards because- um, there are people, believe it or not, who don't know your story and don't uh-huh. know what you've done and all of the sure. interesting things in the in the health and nutrition and fitness worlds and so on and so forth. Um, so let, let's take a step back. I mean, were you always an entrepreneur or did you, let's take a bunch of steps back. Like, were you always sure. an entrepreneur? Did you have the regular job? Were you, <laughs> like, let, how did you get into this world and what is this world originally and now what it's evolved into? We just talked about, but I want to make sure that people understand your journey as well, because there's a lot of steps here. I know you don't tell that story all the time, mm-hmm. but the steps before the steps that got you here.
1: Yeah. Thank you for asking. No, I, I never intended. Well, I've always been an entrepreneur. My my I was raised by an entrepreneur. My dad's had, you know, 50 different businesses. So growing up, we were always broke because none of those businesses really popped. But I didn't know we were broke. Um, so I had really good money mindset instilled in me from a young age. If we wanted something, whether it was clothes or toys or a trip or anything, my parents would say, they didn't say the typical things you'd hear like, uh, well, money doesn't grow on trees or we're broke. They would just say, that sounds amazing. Let's come up with a plan for you to earn that, to make that money. And then once you've earned that money, you can decide if you want to spend that money. And Hmm. so I learned that really young. And I always had these little side businesses from such an early age. And then when I told my parents I wanted to go to college and neither sides of my family had ever gone to college, uh, they were like, that's great. Let, you know, so now we've got to figure out a way for you to, to pay for it. And uh, my dad took me to the, an auction, an automobile auction mm. in the state of Michigan. I was, eight, I was 15 years old and I used my own money, saved up from odds and in jobs, and bought a used vehicle from the state of Michigan. I bought an orange El Camino. And uh, I couldn't drive, but I spent the winter um, fixing it up cosmetically. Had it painted for $99 by Earl Scheib. Nice. And I oh, sold my it. gosh. <laughs> and I sold it and made about $1,000. Wow. And that was like, wow, uh, this is great. So I just continued that process and kept buying, fixing up cosmetically these vehicles from the s- state auctions. Because they were all, all state-owned vehicles. Hmm. Um, so they had low mileage, but they were just dirty. And I would kept selling them and reselling them, and and I learned a lot about cars, and I learned. My dad would make me sell it myself. He'd, you know, make me talk to the people who were coming to buy the vehicle and learn everything about the vehicles. And um, I did that all the way through high school, and it was enough to pay for me to go to school. Once I went to Michigan State, I then realized it was really cumbersome to be uh, this nineteen-year-old petite blonde girl meeting men late at night with an exchange of cash looking at vehicles. And it was also really inconvenient. So I started a business called the All Michigan Auto Swap Meets. And I rented a, a giant acre of land from the state. And every weekend, I would hold these giant swap meets where you came as a private owner of your vehicle and people who were in the market to buy a vehicle from a private owner would come. And I would you know, take a little bit from both parties. And that was but really my first business, um, I also, at the same time, I'm in college, you know, so I'm trying to do all these different things. I, I also was in an MLM. I sold knives
0: door to door. Cutco? Was that uh, was that a Cutco thing back in the day? Yes. Yeah. That's
1: right, baby. And hmm. I, I love them. So like, mm-hmm. I, I never felt like I sold them. I, I love Cutco knives. But, yeah. But I did a lot of different things. Um, my degree is in justice, morality, and constitutional democracy. Hmm. Uh, so I, I, nothing related to fitness, nothing related to exercise or health. But I, I I I taught fitness classes and went for fun, and I realized like this is a losing proposition. These women are spending you know seven six seven hours putting together a class, making a little more than minimum wage for the one hour that they're teaching. Mm-hmm. Uh, so th- this is a losing proposition. I'm gonna, but I've got this format that really works. So I'm gonna I'm gonna sell it to other instructors. So that was my first. Entry into uh, the health and fitness arena, and it took off. And my husband and I eventually certified sixty thousand fitness instructors across the globe in twenty some odd countries. We then started an apparel company uh, that went with it, and motivational camps, and we had distributors all over the United States. Now and... that
0: was through that was through Beachbody, right?
1: No, that wasn't. No. That was our own thing.
0: That was your own um, thing. Yeah. Yeah, wow. that so why- caught the
1: attention of infomercial companies. So that business continued to grow. We were in the largest health clubs in the country, um, and it just caught the attention of all the infomercial companies, one of which was, was Beachbody. Now, they okay. do consumer workouts. So we had these two businesses where I was doing consumer workouts for them. The first one I did was called Turbo Jam, and it was a number one infomercial in 2004. Um, And we made millions of dollars on that, sold tens of millions of DVDs. And that was Beachbody. I was in partnership with them and at the same time running my own business, our own business, certifying instructors. And we were smart enough that when we negotiated, we made certain that whatever consumer products we did, we used a very similar name. Mm -hmm. So we got all that like great SEO and all that, you know, search engine Mm -hmm. um, people searching for me, et cetera. So it really built our business at the same time. And eventually we just realized we're like bidding on the same terms and, you know, we're fighting for the same customer. And uh, eventually Beachbody and, and Powder Blue Productions, we reached an agreement and they, they bought us out.
0: Mm -hmm. Interesting. So was that a I mean if you have that sort of traction one would think on the surface there would be a fairly lucrative exit was it what was that a almost 10 you know million dollar I can't exit?
1: disclose I can't disclose uh and I wish I could but I I cannot disclose any part of that deal at okay. this time um but I can tell you it was yeah we wouldn't have done it if it wasn't you know, because mm-hmm. that was my baby. Um, but it was a beautiful deal it and was, it was a great opportunity. And I, I'm still in partnership with Beachbody for uh, the infomercial side of things, which means that I earn a royalty on anything sold. And then, of course, we have a separate royalty still in place for the businesses that we sold the certification company. But my infomercial Pio, uh, as of today, is, is the number one fitness infomercial on TV. Even still, so that's exciting. Mm-hmm. So, so the- you know that that's a branch of our businesses, and and then um, what when we freed ourselves up from doing the certification, doing the apparel, doing like all of that, and all of those employees, that side of things. Brett and I then kind of step back into what I was super passionate about, which has always been business. Like I've always said, I don't know how I ended up in health and fitness. It's not what I studied. I did that by accident. I love business, and I want to teach people how it is we do this. So we started creating online academies, uh, teaching entrepreneurs from idea inception all the way to um, perhaps a sellout. Like the entire journey, we wanted to take care of people and help them understand exactly what we did and how to do this online.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and so... Just so just so we're clear on this, I mean, when you talk about, you know, Pio being as as popular as it is, I mean, do do you own that brand? Do you just receive it? Did did, like is it a guthy rancor? They like like how does that? We sold
1: that brand. Yeah, so great, great question. So that was things work very differently now in the fitness industry. Mm -hmm. Um, You won't. You, I really highly doubt that you'll see anyone ever again create their own brand, bring it to a company, and then sell that brand to an infomercial company because they just don't. It's, it's too expensive. It's a pain in the butt. It's a pain in the butt to have to pay, you know, and 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 deal with the intellectual property rights and the ownerships, et cetera. But we, I created Payo thirteen years ago, and then we sold the rights to Payo to Beachbody, and so I I earn a royalty on sales. Mm-hmm. Uh, of both the consumer workouts and the workouts that are in the health club, so we certify instructors on the industry side of things
0: mm-hmm. yeah, and just so that we're clear now you you opted to go ahead and and sort of sort of jump into this online type of of world, right? I mean yeah. was it was it through friendships with people like Brendan and those sort of folks that really opened your eyes to the opportunities here or how did how did you make that transition into sort of Shalene the brand, so to speak? Yeah,
1: and I think it's interesting because people know me from in infomercials or books. Yeah. but you know, we t- if you know we're talking about money, and it, it's been far more lucrative for us to do our own thing online with academies than it has ever been to do infomercials, mm. especially today. Like today, today is a completely different ball game because nobody watches. Nobody nobody channel surfs. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah. it's a difficult, difficult business to be in. And PS, there it's difficult to sell fitness because it's everywhere on an app, YouTube, Instagram, and people give it to you for free. So it's really difficult to sell. Yeah. Um uh to answer your question about Brendan and other experts in the industry, I wasn't friends with them, I was a student. So when I when we sold uh, Powder Blue Productions, and I'm like, I'm going to teach people how to do this online, th- but there's so much I need to know. I-, I don't know how to build an email list. You know, we had sold tens of millions of exercise DVDs, and I didn't even have one of those customers' emails. Wow. When oh we gosh. sold Powder Blue Productions, we sold the email list to them as well. So we had to start from scratch, from mm-hmm. ground zero, and I did not know how to do that. So the first, my first step was to spend a year investing in... An education that I didn't get in college, you know, mm-hmm. certainly learn more about business in a year of of taking every online course and attending every seminar and learning from the experts and paying for private consultations and paying for high end member uh, masterminds to learn how to do all these things and to, and to invest all these things. And, and then to go through the painful process of figuring out, okay, now I know all these pieces, what order do I, build them in mm-hmm. and um and so all of the people that you mentioned yeah i was a student of theirs and eventually you know i think anyone any coach wants to celebrate the student who who has success because they listen to their coach yeah for sure. and I'm, I'm a good student
0: so let so let's take a step back then in terms of there are a lot of people who are and i think a lot of folks just kind of took for granted like oh it's it, chalene of course she can create a a top rated podcast, of course you can launch, you know, it's marketing impact Academy, right? That's one of the, yeah. I mean, of course you can launch that course and you know, of course you can get to to having this many followers on it. I mean, it's Shalene like you, but what people don't perhaps understand is that side of the story where you started really just like everyone else, where you started with zero downloads on your podcast, zero subscribers to your email list, zero, Facebook fans. I mean, you Mm -hmm. literally started from scratch. So Mm -hmm. take us through how you then developed Chalene the brand, so to speak, in terms of what, what did you do first? Then what did you do? Because there's a lot of people who have expertise like you do. And look, we live in a new media world. We host an event called the New Media Summit, right, where we teach all about building a scalable, sustainable new media business, right? So, I mean, that's a lot of what we do. But a lot of folks don't understand that, like, the old ways of operating aren't coming back. Like, you, you can't put That's your right. head in the sand and, and pretend that whatever that world was is is coming back. Like, you have to embrace the the concept here of building a scalable and sustainable new media business, which you right. have done better than most. So, <sighs> So let's go through what did you do? So, like, what did that look sure. like? when you started because to get to 10 million and then back to seven or eight or whatever and back to like that's all in this world that's right so yeah. take us through what you did and then what you encourage people to think about either through your teachings of mia and some of the other things that you do because i know you teach this quite extensively yeah. but take us through i think the embryonic I think, stages of that
1: i think it, thank you for that question too because i i do believe that a lot of people look at someone who's got notoriety or maybe a following and they assume like, Oh, this is going to be easy for them. And I have so many contemporaries who have twice the number of followers that I did at the time, certainly, um, more name notoriety. Mm-hmm. Uh, one person I, I like to share the story cause you know, we're friends and he knows I share the story, but Tony Horton and I, um, and Tony Horton, the year my book push came out, um, was also the, you know, the year that we had sold powder blue productions, and he had a million plus, you know, just so many followers and was on every late night TV. Like P90X had become a, a pop culture term. Everyone was doing P90X. Nobody sure. knew my name. Everybody knew his name. We were with the same publisher and released books at the same time. And my book became a New York Times bestseller and his became uh, a great book. And I would say the reason why isn't because of the notoriety. It's because we had done, it's because I had done my studies. I had I listened to the experts and I believed when they said, here's what you need to do first. Don't worry about your social media, get your foundation in place. So I would have to say, I think the number one mistake that most entrepreneurs make is that they think it's about a huge following and they do the things that are hard, but also easy. And that's like focusing on social and you've got to get your foundational pieces in place. First, you have to know, you have Mm -hmm. to know who it is you're helping. You have to know who your lifer is and how you're going to serve them and who you want to repel and what it is they're looking for. What do they think the problem is? Now, what do you think the problem is? Or what do you think the solution is? What do they think the problem is? Because you have got to lead with that. And once you know who your lifer is, then you've got to create those foundational pieces that build your email list. So you can take the relationship off of social media because you can't sell on social media. Mm -hmm. You can build a rapport on social media. It's, But on your email list, you can sell. And you've got so much more freedom. And that's where that passive income comes in. That's where the upsells, the downsells, the the freemiums that build your email list that change people's lives. And they're like, oh my God, this is amazing that I got this free thing from you. And it, it gave me this type of transformation. I can't imagine what would happen if I invested in you. And so we spent those early years, I'd say the first two years really just focused on building an email, an email list. And if I can give you the first tactical thing that we did, um, I'll tell you what we did. And I would tell you how I would do it today because they're different. Uh, And that was, I I went on Facebook in December of 2010 and said, all right, guys, I'm going to help you understand how I create a daily to-do list and accomplish my goals in 90 days instead of a year. Mm-hmm. I'm going to teach you, I call it the push goal system. And if, if you want if you want to sign up and do that, then uh, give me your email address. And for every day, for 30 days, I'm going to send you one email a day, just a really quick email, and I'm going to walk you through this process. Now, this was 2010.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now these kind of challenges are a dime a dozen. Yeah. Uh, but that grew our list in less than about two months' time to over 100,000. Wow. Yeah, That's without any advertising. It was all word of mouth. You know, then once pe- someone signed up, I would send them, a, you know, we had a, a funnel of emails that they would get an email that said, okay, now I need you to invite somebody else to be your partner. And so it just kept doubling and doubling and doubling.
0: So time out for one second. So let, let's just take a look at, the again, the the logistics behind that. So it would still work today. I mean, the challenges, as you said, there are a dime a dozen, but they're still out there. So if you were structuring that today, how would you, and Richie uses this term all the time about bouncing uh, and you really want to bounce folks from, from one platform into your ecosystem. So again, like, I mean, with your podcast, you've got a, I don't know, a million downloads, whatever it is, but you don't know who those people are. So you have to bounce them somehow into communication with you. You have to be able to develop that relationship with them, right? So mm-hmm. same thing with, with the social in terms of what you're talking about. So what would that look like? So if you did that today, again, going to Facebook, what would that look like, sound like, and how would you bounce them into your ecosystem?
1: virtually the same way. I just, where, where I would change things is I would never do a 30 day challenge again. Okay. Uh, I shouldn't say never. I, I think a shorter channel, our attention span is so much shorter than it was then, you know, to get someone to open here. Here's the deal. You have to remember people feel good about finishing things and we feel like we failed or we didn't do it right. If we don't finish something. Mm. So I had, If I were to do it today, I'd be setting people up for failure because I I know people aren't going to pay attention for 30 days for something that they got for free. Mm -hmm. They may pay attention for seven days. So I I would shorten the length of time. I would make the um, everything else I would pretty much do the same, but just, you know, a little a little bit more brand.
0: Again, just so we're clear on this, how do you get them on your email list? So if you just do the post on Facebook.
1: yeah. Yeah. So it would be going live. So I think the best way to do this today is to go live regularly, like almost every single day. And every single day you find a way to offer something of value. That call to action is essential. Like if, if you're just going live to get likes and views, you you might as well be a, a middle school boy. Like it's just that's a waste of time mm-hmm. if you don't have an intention behind it. So the intention every single time you go live should be which by the way you can do on instagram live you can do on youtube now we can do it on on every platform you can go live and it's really powerful that is incredibly powerful just showing up day after day after day and you just find something related to what it is you're suggesting people opt into, and you find something that you can teach that day and frankly people love on live when you're just there answering questions for them a little bit teaching a whole lot of interacting call to action you know rinse and repeat do it the next day Mm -hmm. and each day that call to action is guys if if this is valuable to you i've got something that i think you're going to really love so go to somebody put this in the comments below go to blah 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 and you'll receive or you'll be automatically signed up for or you'll be able to download or you'll be on my and people will do that and they love it Mm -hmm. and it's just really key that people remember um if you aren't using your freemium it's really not a relationship
0: mm-hmm. right? when, you you say, when you say when you say freemium i mean that sounds to me like it's a trial that then moves them into some sort of paid program product or service is that what you mean by the term
1: the, when i say and you'll have to forgive me so opt-in lead magnet freemium all kind of the same thing in okay. other words it's an exchange where you're giving me your email address in exchange for a tool, a download, an audio, a PDF, a phone call, a discount, Mm -hmm. uh, etc. And Mm -hmm. so for some people that might lead a free trial is an example of a freemium or an opt-in. In In our case, it was a free trial, and we often will use a a free trial uh, or a free program or a free download, but it's followed up with a number of of email sequences that ultimately lead to their first purchase. Mm-hmm. And that, that's building the customer journey. You know, one of the, it, it was, I don't want to say it was easy because we definitely made mistakes along the way. And one of them I think was that I always wanted to give our customers so much. It was almost too big. Mm-hmm. And I've learned that people want to be successful. They, they don't value a lot of content as much as they value their time Mm -hmm. so the shorter and the more concise the content i can deliver to people the quicker i can give you results that has far more value than thinking oh i've got to create this big huge monstrous thing that's got all these layers and bells and whistles and and modules um, in order for to charge a premium Uh, the premium is on how quickly can you get people results in the shortest amount of time
0: No, I love that. And so what what is the size of your email list today? Nine years, fast forward nine years later, approximately.
1: Uh, yeah, so, uh, you know, segmented, it, 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 there's different segments. So there's like a health and fitness segment and a, an entrepreneurial segment. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so before I were to combine all of them, we're close to a million.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, and,
1: and, and it's a clean list. So we're constantly cleaning our list. And by that, I mean, when people are opting in to something for free, as you know, we all have our good email address and the email address that we use to subscribe to things that we don't care if we get spammed. Mm-hmm. Right. So I'm forever trying to figure out like, how can I get your real address? How can I get your best address? Mm-hmm. I need you to trust me so much that you're, you, you're not going to give me that phony email or the one that you never open. You're going to give me the one that you know, you're going to see my follow up email
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know that you're looking for it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. That point mm-hmm. is really well taken. So um, So going back again to sort of the, you know, we've got this person A who has expertise in subject B, and they're really trying to figure out how to get into this new media landscape. So the idea of going live and bouncing people into the ecosystem, getting onto the email address, that's all well and good, getting onto your subscriber list. That's all well and good, but then how do you, what would be a first step and what was your first step? Let's start with this. What was your first step back in the day to monetize your expertise? in this new media landscape. And then what would you recommend people's first step be today mm-hmm. to monetize their expertise?
1: So my objective in creating that email list initially was because I wanted to write a book about personal development, goal setting and productivity and, and focus and and how to to do all of these things that so much of so many of us want to do, but at the same time to be present for your family. And that was a book push when I started shopping that around with my agent he's like listen I can get you a diet book I can get you a fitness book but I can't really get you a personal development book because you're not known for that mm-hmm. and I said well what do I have to do then he said you've got to get people results you've got to get before and afters you've got to get stories you've got to build that list and so I said fine and that's what was the catalyst behind creating that first 30-day challenge. And that is why, I'm sure of it, the book was a New York Times bestseller. I didn't do any press for it. I, I did one appearance. We completely used our email list to make that happen. And because you don't make money from books, uh, you know, at least the, the traditional publisher way, um, I, I studied what other experts had done in terms of building a, a back end to the book so that mm-hmm. when people purchase the book, you know, we offered a free, a freemium. So if you, if you pre, if you pre-ordered the book, you got this basically a jump start that would teach you how to start goal setting and mindset, et cetera. And, and so people got that for free. And once they got that, now we had their email address because if you're selling books or DVDs online, you're, you're not getting those or anything on Amazon, you're not getting those people's email addresses. So you've got to figure out a way mm-hmm. to create the back end. And then ultimately we, we upsold them a an online academy that was called Smart Success. And that was like, it was like the book, but the big life version of it, like how you can take this and really affect your finances and your relationships and your time management and your goal setting. And, and that was an online Academy that we sold for a thousand dollars. And, and that was a sequence of emails. Mm -hmm. That's how we did it. And then going live, what I would do for, what I would tell people to do today is this, which, which wasn't available at the time. It's so much easier to figure this out today Um, because I, I don't, I would never recommend someone offer, like go from high, Here's a a freemium to a a $1,000 sale. That makes no sense. It was like ridiculous Mm -hmm. that we even tried that. Uh, And we were lucky that it it did work. But today, people need an on-ramp. They need a journey. So if you're giving them this $1,000 course, there's no place to go. Mm -hmm. It's like they're one and done. Um, Today, what I would suggest doing is not to create anything ever unless you're co-creating it with your audience. Today, I believe that because we have the ability to go live, it's what we used to pay when we were testing an infomercial. We would pay tens of thousands of dollars per hour to have a focus group telling us what they liked and didn't like. Mm -hmm. Watching what, you know, maybe they were watching an infomercial in real time and telling us like, yes, no, yes, no. Why do you call it that? Oh, I don't like that person. That testimonial. That doesn't seem real. I don't believe it. You know, we could get those responses, but you had to spend a fortune with a firm that could do that type of research for you. Today, if you have 10 people who will engage with you online when you go live, you have the most valuable focus group ever because the members of that focus group will also become your biggest fans. They're co-creating it with you. Mm -hmm. And because you've listened to them, they've got a vested interest in promoting and talking about it and they'll be your first customers. They will be your best customers and they will be ultimately your advisors, Mm -hmm. your customers, the people you interact with are going to tell you how to name it, what to price it at, what they want to be included in it, how quickly you should go through it, what medium they want where they're struggling, what software you need to develop. They will tell you what they want. Yeah. The last thing entrepreneurs should ever do today is try to create anything in a test tube.
0: Yeah, Let, and let's talk about your revenue today then. So where what's the revenue breakdown in terms of what it is that you, that you offer? Generally speaking, in terms of percentages, you don't have to go into specifics. I'm not expecting that. And, of course, if you had that, we'd love care. to... Of course, if you had that, we'd love for, to hear it. But I'm just curious, like, where does the Shalene world of revenue all come together? Yeah. Is it the 80-20 and, and you know, your, sure. is, is the majority of your revenue coming from just a couple things? Break, break that yeah. down for us.
1: Yeah. So I, I don't have percentages I can guesstimate. Sure. Um, so let me start first with 27, because I almost want to erase 2018. We we let, we lost focus on some things that were really great genera- money-generating fun, passion projects for for all of us. And because we didn't pay attention to them, the revenue dropped there in 2018. But generally speaking, uh, about 50% of our revenue is from our online academies, um, maybe 15% from infomercials. And uh, then I would say another 20% from physical products. Mm -hmm. So that would be like journals and um, accessories Water bottles, things that support the one through one method. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in twenty seventeen, I'm, I'm sorry, in twenty nineteen, uh, the year that we're in right now, we we start we realize, oh my gosh, we've got we've got these great online marketing academies that we just need to make sure they're getting our attention to, mm-hmm. and bringing on enough people to support the growth that we need for the one through one method. The one through one method this year. I think will likely be uh, about 40% of our revenue and the online academies hopefully uh, will be the other 60%. That one, three, one method though, is going to take up the majority of my time and efforts, which is interesting because I've just, there's a, there was a time in December when I just basically threw a temper tantrum, you know, late at night with my husband. I'm just like, oh, we just need to be done with this. It's it's too hard. I don't, I don't want to grow, go through this growth period. I don't want to struggle to figure out how to get VC capital because really the long game with the one-through-one method is in the data. It's understanding how, how do we develop out the technology where we, we have all the data on people's, um, their eating habits and their weight loss and all the information, like where they live and their age and, and their are interested. Oh, that's, that's the beauty of this program. Mm-hmm. But it's also the most expensive piece. And it's a piece we don't know enough about. So we've got to make, you know, enough space for us to find the right investor and to say, like, OK, are, are we committed to doing this? And, and that's a real, it's a struggle I'm going to tell you as an entrepreneur because it's like, oh, but this is so, but this over here is so easy and we can do it in our sleep and it's, it's right there. Mm-hmm. But we also know, you know, maybe we'll get to 12, 15 million if we focus just on our online academies, but the potential of the one through one is far greater. Yeah. And for me, it's, it's about passion. It's about, I'm okay with running on fumes. I believe in it and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm all right with suffering through the messy middle. Um, and it was a difficult lesson to recognize that success isn't always linear. It's kind of up and down and up and down. And um, it's all been a blessing. I love growth. I love challenge. So this is all a good thing.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Points, points really well taken before I hog them like any more here, Mary or Richard, anything, I don't know we've covered a lot of ground. I just want to give you guys an opportunity to jump in here for well, sure. I know you build a lot with your husband and a lot of this is because of that support support system you have for each other. And you said you threw a temper tantrum, but <laughs> what, how did that, I mean, obviously it turned out because you yeah. even kind of answered in the end of that question.
1: Yeah. You know? Yeah. So what we did, thanks for asking. Cause that's true. I didn't really explain what came of that. It was just like, I exas- feeling exasperated. Like I wish, why am I, why are we working this hard and we had, uh, a year where the revenue just didn't, the revenue didn't reflect our effort. And so we both just like really sat down and we looked at all the different areas of our business and all of the things that we'd done in the last year and all the money we had spent in areas where we were, it was new to us, all the agencies that we had hired. And we looked at all the other new projects and, and new businesses that had sprouted off of the one through one. And we said, let's, get focused. Let's clear the clutter. Let's pull this project off. Let's pull this project off. It's not time yet. And so we removed a lot of the distractions. And then we redirected to say, where has a majority of our income always come from with the least amount of effort? And let's return a, a, a large portion of our time and our focus to that. And let's structure it so that we have X number of days, like we really work in season. So we have X number of, you know, weeks really that we spend on each one of these projects and just got back to the basics, got back to realizing that. Sometimes when you have a lot of advisors giving you advice, you let go of what you know works because you've invested in them. And so I, I should take their advice and, and don't get me wrong. we got a lot of great advice and, 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 learn things we wouldn't have otherwise known without great advisors. And I, I just believe in coaches. I believe in mentors, you know, I I just, and I'm a good student and I I love the shortcut that that can sometimes provide, but it can also sometimes turn the volume down on your own intuition, Mm -hmm. you know? And, and I think we, we just spent way too much money and way too much time on very expensive, costly agencies Um, I would say that was probably the biggest mistake we made in 2018. And then bringing people on too quickly, expanding Mm -hmm. too quickly, um, doing things that I don't think that we need to be doing for another year or two, at least, until the business, you know, until we get the marketing right, frankly. Yeah. Mary? Well, I was just going to
2: say, I was going to ask this earlier in the episode. When you started this new business, it's almost as if you look to other people for the answers that you most likely already had. The two of you had, because you had such a strong beginning. And that's when I had commented maybe with this new one, if you just did what you did with the first ones and trust your gut, trust your instincts on it and your intuition
1: yeah, and put the money in the bank. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think a lot of, thank you, Mary, for asking that. I think, I think a lot of the decisions we made, I would agree. Um, And there are some things that we just didn't know. Like, and I'm trying to give you some examples. Um, well, I'm sure certain aspects were totally new. Sure. Yeah, for sure. And, and those, those things, the things that were totally new where we were outside of our realm of expertise or even experience were super helpful. But you're 100% right that we turned down the volume on doing things the way that we once did. And in fact, one of our advisors you know, was always saying, um, you can't operate this business the way you've taught other people to build businesses the way that you built your previous businesses if this is going to be a 20 30 million 40 million dollar business you've got to do things differently Mm -hmm. and and i was like yeah of course of course and i agree we did do a lot of things differently but i think too many of them we did too fast
2: right you mentioned the speed was too much
0: yes yeah let's do this because we're gonna unfortunately we're gonna come up against it here and uh you know i I don't want to take up your whole day too, because I know how busy you are, and you got a million different things going on. But let's um, let me ask you what may turn out to be more of an emotional question for you, from the standpoint of look. I mean, you're you're a beautiful woman. You're in amazing shape. You do all the stuff in the health and fitness worlds. You have, I mean, a multi-million dollar business. I'll be with the ebbs and flows, and it'll get to where it's going to get to in 2019 and beyond. But what what do you still struggle with? Today, like, what's what's the Chalene behind the scenes mm. that people don't have? I mean, five hundred and twenty-eight thousand mm-hmm. followers on Instagram, and you look great, and you I know you take the makeup off sometimes, and this, that, and the other. But what? Yeah, I know, right? But what's what's the untold story?
1: Struggle, yeah. Uh, oh gosh, that's a good question. So um, always imposter syndrome, mm. right? So that's always there, um, and you know, especially when it comes to health and fitness, I. Oh, because I didn't study it because I hadn't intended to have the business and the success that I did. I always felt like, what am I doing here? Someone's going to, you know, check my credentials. So mm-hmm. I, I, I end up getting certified from like 12 different bodies because I was like, the more knowledge I have, then the more certain everyone will be that I belong here. Mm-hmm. And I, I still feel that today. I still struggle with imposter syndrome I also struggle with control. You know, I I struggle to want to micromanage people and I struggle with that balance. Like, So sometimes I I either step away and let everybody do their own thing and then I come back and I'm like, oh shoot, they needed some direction. Mm -hmm. Or I get so in the weeds that I don't do the things that only I can do. Um, I would say where I'm strong as an entrepreneur is that, I really do protect and guard my ability to daydream every single day, mm. and and to think and to process. And I don't feel guilty about that. Like a lot, you know, I my assistant knows that I don't want anything scheduled for my day until after eleven a.m. I'm working, but it wouldn't look like work to anyone else. But that's how I that's how I vet ideas. That's how I process. That's how I think, that's how I dream, that's how I plan. And I I think entrepreneurs we can get really caught up in the like every single minute of our day has to be scheduled and if you don't give yourself permission to process um first of all it's hard to enjoy what you're doing and secondly it's hard to to dream the big dream.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I get Really that. sage advice. Really appreciate you spending some time with us here. And whether it's in relation to starting or scaling or potentially even exiting from a business, any words, last words of advice here that you would share uh, in either of those three phases?
1: Yeah, you just also made me realize something I probably should have brought up earlier. So we... We built Powder Blue Productions without an exit plan in mind. Mm. Once we decided that it, we were going to sell it, it, we spent about three years before we started marketing it to sell, um, getting it to a place where we could sell it because it was so brand dependent. I was in every single video mm. for the instructors. I did all the clothing design. I did all the music production and once we were like oh we need to sell this but we can't sell me so it took us about three years to to put the right people in place to transition our customers over so they weren't expecting to see me in the videos to hire all the people to do all the things that I should have had them doing all along and when we started building the 131 we decided we would build this with the assumption that someday we would exit so everything we've done we've in that regard we've Done successfully to create a brand that isn't dependent just on me. Although I think brands are, it's important to associate with a, a face or an individual to start with, but all of the moving pieces, the expertise, the registered dietitians, the integrated medical doctors, they are the meat and bones of the program. It's their expertise. And um, that that the advice I would give to anyone who's either currently in a business or wanting to start a business is to, even if you think oh, I'm going to have this for the rest of my life, someone may come to you mm-hmm. and say, we'd like to buy it. So position yourself as if it's, it's like your home. Yeah. If you, if you keep your home in such a way that you like, as if there were going to be a showing, mm-hmm. cause we all know what that's like. Yeah. You, know, you, you just feel calmer. There's less chaos, less clutter, less, you know, you're, and you're ready for guests to show up. Mm-hmm. And I think if we look at our businesses in that same regard, like just, assuming just just be prepared that someone's going to want to buy your business someday so you've got to build it in such a way that it's not completely dependent upon
0: you yeah love that advice and there's a million different ways for folks to get into contact with you but uh, if, if you had to pick a favorite how should folks connect with you today
1: well, your listeners would probably do best with uh, my business podcast. It's called Build Your Tribe.
0: Okay, great.
1: And there I share a lot of, you know, I'm, as you can tell, I'm pretty honest about where we are, what we're doing, and how we're doing it. And I, I believe wholeheartedly in the abundance mindset. I'm going to tell you how I did it. I'm going to tell you how to do it. I'm going to share all of my answers, and that's what I do on Build Your Tribe. On uh, social media, probably Instagram is where I'm the most active, and that's Jean yeah. Johnson.
0: Chalene Johnson. Well, nice, Chalene. We really appreciate you being with us here on Beyond Eight Figures, and uh, we didn't disclose this earlier, but you're actually our second person that we've done this now live on Zoom and did it here in studio because we typically just do it as a live show and then we repurpose it as a podcast. But we just added video to the mix, so thanks for your patience as we got through that. It'll make for a great blooper reel, but we'll uh, we'll leave it at that. So for Mary Goulet and Richie Ote and White Wade and Kelly Pelker, I'm Steve Olster, and thank you chalene johnson so much for hanging out with us and we will talk to everybody next time here on beyond eight figures take care everybody